What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I am one of your two hosts, Scott Lease, and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Richard Harris. Shout out to our sponsors of the Surf and Sales podcast and the Surf and Sales Summit, Salesforce Sales Cloud, Gong.io, the game changer for your sales organization and for sales leaders everywhere, Vidyard, and Lead411.com. And we are excited today to talk to an old friend of ours. Uh, we were just kind of talking offline. I, I think I've known uh, Tyler for about six years or so. Richard has known him for a couple more beyond that. And uh, we're just happy he's here because he rescheduled on us about 19,000 times. So we have to give him a little bit of hell for that. Uh, Tyler Barron. Tyler Barron is the CRO of InCapture based in uh, Dallas, Texas. And uh, we're excited to talk to you, Tyler. Thanks for making some time for us. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I, I knew y'all were going to give me some shit for, uh, for rescheduling so many times as well. So yeah, glad, to be, yeah, glad, glad to be here. And uh, it's kind of funny uh, just catching up there with Scott reminded me, uh, you know, first time whenever I was VP, it reminded me of our therapy sessions we used to have. It's kind of a uh, soothing to, to hear his voice again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thought, I could, thought I could be a calming influence on you, Tyler. <laughs> That's pretty good. Tell, uh, tell everybody um, about your role, right? Yeah. I mean, we know what a CRO is, but, but talk about like the sales motion at Capture. Is it enterprise sales? What's the sales cycle like? The price point? Tell everybody kind of what you do so they have some context. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I probably categorize this as a little bit more as a scale up as opposed to a startup. Um, company's actually been around for 20 years, um, but was you know, previously kind of run as like a, you know, consulting type company to go in work with big banks around automation initiatives. Uh, but they had some of their own IP and we basically, uh, you know, have decided to focus the company completely on that. Um, in terms of like overall sales motions, you know, we sell pretty, pretty large enterprise, um, you know, deals, you know, the, the hard stuff, you know, 12, 18 month sales cycles, um, you know, primarily focusing on the selling to big banks, big lenders, big insurance companies, um, you know, we're still a pretty small company. You know, we're sub 50 people. Um, definitely in the, the figuring it out phase in terms of the go-to-market motions. Um, I was brought on a year ago. Um, they had a CEO change and basically had a, a growth equity infusion from a private equity group. And I was brought on to basically change the go-to-market motion from shifting from more of that consulting type company to being a pure software company. And um, it's, it's been a good ride. I mean, it was a little bit hard. I, came in in April of last year. So, um, you know, kind of some challenging. Right in the thick of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was actually a good time to kind of take a step back and, um, you know, just look at how we wanted to go to market with this product and capture um, and, and really think about that. You know, I, I would say we're not too dissimilar from, from most, you know, enterprise SaaS companies. We have a lot of outbound motions. Um, very collaborative team selling, you know, six, seven people internally will be involved in, you know, helping the deal get across the line. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the thing that's, that's fun too, is that the product's an ML platform. So it's got a lot of scale and application and, you know, there's the ability to where, you know, it always ROIs out really well and the ability to sell to the balance sheet and sell to, you know, really high up chief officers in a company and um, got the opportunity to go in and sell, you know, multi-seven-figure opportunities. Um, so that, that's kind of in general the, the motions here. Does that does that mean you get a multi-seven-figure check at the end of the year? 
I, I wish <laughs> get get a, get a pat on the back and um, you know we're we're still just uh, you know I would say we're in the, the the stage right now to where we have some really great logos using our company or, or that are they're using our product and really we're at the the first stage of throwing gasoline on the fire and you know had a record year with the product but yeah. you know, we hadn't quite figured out how to do that at scale till here recently. So talk, let's let's talk about that. Let's pause yeah. right there and sit with that. So when you say you hadn't figured out how to do it at scale yet, yeah, what changed or what did you what did you figure out or what's being done differently there? What was that light bulb moment? It, so so there is like this is the one thing that like everybody's got all these you know really hot opinions on, but there is no other way to do this outside of just flat out battle test it, and outside of like having the sales playbook. You know, within the sales playbook, you, you've got to have these these really well-defined plays that get executed at each meeting at each stage, right? And a lot of that was, you know, hey, how do we do that? And where we were really struggling was probably mid-funnel and the ability to have like really effective POCs that, you know, didn't extend out, that were overly long. Um, at the same time, we're also, you know, deep enough and, and diligent enough to where it gave them enough proof. Um, so like, you know, what do I mean by that? It, it took some time just to, to battle test those plays like at each stage. And, you know, it started with, you know, hey, let's nail our messaging and our outbound motion. Then, you know, hey, let's get a really good demo set up going and iterate on that for a whole bunch. Hey, let's get really good at, you know, iterating on this POC play. So I want right. to interrupt you there. What is like, go back to just the first one that you said, let's get really good at this. What does get really good mean? What did you do? Where did you start? And what did you change to make it go from meh to good to better? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think probably the, the biggest thing was, you know, just kind of starting with taking a step back and saying, all right, you know, what, what is the biggest challenge that we don't have? And, you know, a lot of it was just the ability to produce pipeline consistently. Um, you know, a lot of times you think you have a sales problem, it's more of a demand challenge. And we were working through a lot of partners and uh, relying on the channel a lot. So I built out that, that outbound team, but you know, Hey, how do we get good at that? I mean, like super tactical every day I got here in a conference room with the sales team and we just made calls and, you know, yeah, we had persona cards and, and had the you know, business pain, emotional pain, all that stuff. But like, you know, we just picked up the phone, see if we got dunked on, see what resonated, see what didn't. Um, so, you brought, so you brought everybody in a conference room and everybody did like a, a cold calling boot camp kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, and, you know, there was a lot of just like really organic stuff of the reps working together. Like, Hey guys, you know, I've been experimenting with this messaging. This is really you know working well. Um, you know, I would say that, you know, I, I came into and capture, you know, with the playbook. Right. But all this stuff's just like academic, like it's academic and theoretical unless you really go apply it and like battle test. Right. Right. How much, and, and I'm going to keep pushing on this. How much time did you invest into this with the team? A bunch. Um, I mean, so that, I think that's one thing that's been pretty humbling um, over the past year that, you know, I came in thinking that, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to be CRO, you know, roll, you know, basically all of everybody involved in revenue rolling up to me. And I kind of approached the, the role of, of how you think you would approach that, right? Let me build out this big system in which I can measure all this stuff. And candidly, I probably wasted three or four months working too much at the systems level and not enough like boots on the ground, 
let me literally coach reps in the moment um, type level. And, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, like you can't, you can't expect people to do stuff if, if you haven't really figured out how to do it extremely well in, in their particular context yet. Yeah. Um, just, it's just set people up for failure. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, one thing that like a big lesson learned that I'm just going to you know, basically take with myself, like no matter what I do moving forward is that concept that I always want to make sure I'm spending at least half my time, like, like one foot in the field. Um, yeah. Coaching, developing, developing the, the team, working with everybody, staying yeah. close to the sale, that kind of stuff. Right. I, I mean, I even flat out ran a deal on my own too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, nothing like going out there and just taking on the objections, feeling it right there with them. Like that you know, gives you uh, so much credibility, right? Like I love, uh, I mean, it, it excites me to hear that you came in as a CRO. One, you realized you may, you know, this, oh, let's not go there. Let's get super tactical. And two, you, you stepped up to the plate and you took swings and bats and balls and strikes just like the reps did. And my guess is your team trust you at a very high level because they saw you do it and they know that you experienced what they experienced. Is that a, is that a fair assumption? That's what I would hope for. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's, that, that, that's the intent. Well, guess what we have on the line now, Tyler, I've got one of your, no, just <laughs> Yeah. That guy's full of, is it? didn't do any of that, you know, <laughs> what, what else have you, what stops when, you know, I know Scott was very big on this one. When I first met him in managing, he was like, you guys need to get on the phone. Like, I don't want to hear anything. There's no egos. Like, get the fuck on the phone and yeah. make deals happen. Um, and and you'll win over the team, which is not something I was great about. I was much more of a dashboard manager, uh, which I recently yeah. wrote about. But um, it was it's very good. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you see that at the CRO level. Like, that's really, I've talked to a lot of CROs. I don't hear them say that. So this, this is your second trip around the sun as a, a sales leader, sales executive, C-suite. Um, what else have you implemented and, 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 and learned and done right this time that you screwed up the first time? What, what were you able to apply? Yeah, no, that, that's a, a lot. Um, I mean, some of it is pretty painful lessons. Um, you know, I would say I'm overly intentional about getting better at working cross-functionally, um, you know, working better with, with product, working better with, with CS, working better with marketing. There's, um, there's trauma in his voice right there. Yeah, I know. I want to dig into that. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll admit like my first time around, I was not good at it. Um, I, you know, felt like I had a really great sales team and I was quick to point fingers. Um, you know, whenever things didn't go their way and, you know, I, and, you know, it's just, it's just not healthy. And so just, I, I, I know not, it would just like, what did you like, you know, me, I love to get into tactical stuff, Tyler. What did you adjust on this second trip of like, okay, I used to work with my CEO this way. Now I'm going to do this or, Hey, I used to have this, you know, combative piece with marketing that that could be just an assumption on my part but how do you like what are you doing to cool your jets maybe yeah i mean i would say just like from a interpersonal dynamics thing i have one-on-ones with with every single you know leader 
across other functions of the business, whether or not they report to me or not. Um, you know, so, you know, just being intentional about being empathetic about what they're going through, seeing how I can be helpful. Um, you know, I'm, my role's kind of changed too. I'm, I'm at the point where I've got some good lessons learned and insights to share and, and ways to help other leaders too now. And, and, you know, I've just tried to be more intentional and open about being the one. Can you give an example? Can you give an example of where, you know, my, you know, old Tyler would have done this, right? New Tyler would do this, right? Like that was, you know, as I say, there's, there's old school Ricky and then who Scott doesn't know. Um, and then there's Richard who Scott has gotten to know. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I can like think of like a super specific example, like, you know, I think let's a lot just of say time, you disagreed. Like, let's say you disagreed with a with a, a company decision or something marketing was doing. What yeah, would I'd, you I'd probably, done? Yeah, to be more specific, like I think old Tyler probably just would have went to the CEO and bitched about it. And like new Tyler, like is more intentional about like, hey, let me go straight to that leader and talk to them and like let them know that like, hey, I understand that that you're having some challenges. How can I be helpful? Um, you know, so I, I think there's a lot of that. Um, I'll, I'll be candid on this, though, too. Like, I think fundamentally, like this whole silo issue around revenue functions, like if we want to get into that, yeah. it, it's like a little bit of a flawed system, though, too. So I'm, I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth here. Like, you know, especially whenever you're you're pretty early on, you know, uh, like, you know, trying to trying to get things really, really cranking. You're not a massive company yet. Like, you really only need like one one true revenue leader that, that everybody rolls up to and, and everybody needs to be aligned with like the right sales metrics around that, the right revenue metrics. Cause ultimately all that matters is, is, is ARR, right? You know, it's, so, it's you know. so here I got, I got a question. So how does a sales guy, you yeah. step in and start to participate and run marketing in the, in the CRO seat? How do you how do you get up to speed with that? Do you know at all what the hell you're doing in, in this area? How how how's that transition been? Yeah, so I mean, I, so honestly, Scott, like that's kind of been a little bit of humble pie. I tried to run marketing on my own for the first, uh, you know, six seven months that I was here, and I realized that outside of building a BDR team and producing leads, I was way out over my skis anywhere else. And it all just felt like a whole bunch of crap that needed to be done all the time that I couldn't measure. Um, and it just felt like a massive money pit. Um, and it was just frustrating. Um, so, you know, basically what, what it, the way that I did it was that once I got the, the BDR cranking, because at the end of the day, look, my, my opinion, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. The, the metric that we really need to be looking at is how many legit sales opportunities are we creating every single month, right? And, and if we can focus on that, you can't get them all from a BDR team. They need to come from multiple different channels. I get it. Uh, but that was kind of the low hanging fruit for us here. So I focused on that first. And then Scott, I, I mean, I played to, my, played to my strengths. I knew it wasn't my strengths. So I hired a good CMO and, and brought him in and, and him and I became aligned around, you know, hey, how are you going to be measured? And, you know, he was a very revenue focused person too. So I, I brought somebody in to help me. Do you, do you give your marketing leader a revenue quota yes not beat me to the question <laughs> yes yeah 100 percent. yes absolutely 
Um, I mean, talk, talk, talk about that. How do you, how did you, how did you set it? Is it the same as the sales number? Is it different and why, how was the, the marketer's response, you know, to, to getting a revenue number? Yeah. So, I mean, th- this was, this was a little bit different because I, I had the privilege of, of being able to just to, to seek out the right person to help me on this. Um, it, if I would have to kind of inherit a situation like it probably would have been a lot different, but I had the opportunity to, to interview CMOs for multiple months and really chat with like, find the people that really understand how, how revenue works at, at, at tech companies. Right. And, and this guy, like right off the bat was like, okay, well, you know, obviously SALs are the only thing that matters. I was like, all right, well, cool. SAL gold needs to be at least five X, you know, what the, uh, what, what the overall revenue goal is for the year you know, let's put, set that up as the monthly amount. You know, I don't, I don't want to talk about leads. I don't, I don't want to talk about SQLs. I want to talk about real sales opportunities, like demos that get passed that, that are ready to be closed. And, and so that, that's how we came up with that is, you know, we did the forward facing math based on assumption on how long the sales cycle was. And, and honestly, you know, it, it wasn't really something I ordained. It was something we collaborated on and agreed on. Uh, but, but look, I, I say that with, with the disclaimer that I had the opportunity to, to find somebody out there that, that saw the world the, the same way that I saw it. So I got a couple of questions I want to dig in on. One is um, you're a CRO. This person's a CMO. Um, does the CMO report to you? Yeah, he, he does. Um, and, and we don't know if it's going to be like that forever. Um, and, and we've openly had that conversation, you know, Right now, we feel like the, the things that, that matter the most are, are producing SALs. And, mm-hmm. you know, at a given time, whenever there's more important things, like wh- whenever the, the story becomes more important than the facts, um, you know, whenever you kind of need to create more of a buzz around stuff, in addition to, you know, the, the SAL engines running and you know, you're consistently producing leads, like that's probably the, the day to where we're, you know, we kind of break so, that out. So do you leave it to the CMO to pay attention to the MQLs and the SQLs. Like they're there, you two don't talk about it, but does this person really pay attention to it? And do they have a relationship maybe with a VP of sales or a sales lead manager where that where that stuff is being discussed? Cause I don't, I don't know that, I, I, or do you abandon it? Like that's, cause it's a very different approach. Well, I mean, so it, I, it's not like I sent this guy out with like a you know pipe cleaner and like some scotch tape, like. The, the whole the whole BDR team rolls up to him, so okay. you know so that so that's a difference. So yeah, the BDR yeah. team so like, is rolling up to him to pay attention to that. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like if he was going to be accountable for a number, I was going to give him the resources to get there. Right, and that's so great. That's, yeah. So so you know and and you know yeah. Does he track all that stuff like down to the you know absolute micro detail around you know how many different leads are coming in and all that stuff? One hundred percent and. Uh, we're really good about talking about that stuff and, you know, iterating on what's working and what's not. I tell you the other thing that that's kind of been a, a secondary um, benefit is that since we're so tightly aligned, I've seen marketing have a big impact mid and late funnel too um, here over the past couple quarters since, since he's come in as well. So it's, how, do, how are they impacting the late part of the funnel? You know, basically just helping us be tighter and POCs like, you know, just overall, like, I would say the, the the lines between sales enablement and marketing are extremely blurred here. Um, 
And so they're really good with arming our sales team with the right content that tells the right stories at the right moments. Um, and a lot of those stories that need to be told are the stories to where like a client needs some very tangible proof that, that what we've dis discussed and shared, like, hey, like all this stuff is 100% real. Like y'all need to move forward with this. Hey, I got one more question. I'm going to have Scott um, take over, but uh, you said something we did. I, I can't remember how you said it, but you said forward thinking forecasting, mm -hmm. right? Which is very different from what I was always taught, which is what's the number and let's work backwards. So, yeah, yeah, we're, we're kind of saying the same thing, though. Oh, we are. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, so you know, I, I was basically starting with, okay, you know, how much, you know, what is the, the ultimate revenue goal here? And then how much pipeline coverage do we need to, to get there? And then thinking about that as a forward component of time, meaning that, you know, those deals might take a year. So, you know, as we get through the year, that, that number is going to ramp up because, next year's number, the number never gets smaller, right? The number always gets bigger. Um, so that, that's kind of what I meant by that. Cool. Tyler, you <clears throat> have been closing seven, eight figure deals uh, for a while now across these last two companies. Um, it, can you talk a little bit about the, the differences in, in when you add that extra comma? It, do you have to be that much, you know, braver or, or emboldened to ask for that figure? Do you just act like it's no big deal because it's maybe not a big deal to those type of folks? Do you, does the same type of seller who can close a six-figure deal, can they just as easily close a seven-figure deal or is there something different? And so, uh, Scott, good question. So kind of hot opinion here. Two of the best AEs I've ever worked with both came from transactional sales. And, and I trained them up into to doing more. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me people from transactional sales can become enterprise sellers? I, 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 I am. In, in my uh, if Scott is so excited. He <laughs> is like, holy cow. And I, now the next question, I know Scott won't ask it is, did he train them? Because if that's what he needs to hear. So, um, so you know. Yeah, no, but, it's, it, it, it is. It's a, it's a component of training. And honestly, like, the guys that have come from faster sales cycles, they have more horsepower. You know what I mean? And so if you can point them in the right direction in these huge accounts, they're really great at working wider and deeper and really connecting the deep, like the dots around all the different pieces of intelligence via all those conversations, right? And, and interweaving like the real truth that's going on there. Um, you just got to kind of get them pointed in that direction and, and teach them how to do things like, you know, do really good deal mappings and, and things like that. I mean, Scott, I, I think probably the biggest difference is like the really, really late stuff, just, just teaching reps to be patient and like really, really understand the, the process to get the PO and like really breaking that down because it might just be one stage in Salesforce, but it's a punch list of like 10 things mm. that, that got to take place. And like, really tactical understanding, like what are the steps to procurement? What are the steps for legal? What are the steps to get through finance? What are the steps to get through InfoSec? And like creating those really good punch lists. And then honestly, like the other thing too, just from a, like an emotional standpoint, getting those guys to celebrate like the micro wins, just because like you just get punched in the face so many more times than you get to celebrate. 
Um, yeah. You know, so. And, and I think, I think it's, you've got to have something to redirect their energy and attention to as well. So they're not just sitting around there stewing over this deal that's not coming in that they need, right? And that goes back to, as you said, your most important metric, which is creating opportunities or opening new opportunities. So what is your belief system around number of opportunities versus number of deals somebody needs to bring in every quarter? What's the ratio, the pipeline revenue ratio to uh, to quota ratio that, that works for you, that, that you kind of teach and preach to your to your team yeah so i mean that that's kind of you know something that that i think a lot about um and probably something that i've had to had to like really kind of throttle for like how much bandwidth it takes on these these bigger deals and in my mind i feel like at at that size a rep can only work 10 deals max at at, at one given time Mm. um you know, so if they're only working, if they're only working 10 deals, how many are like in their account universe? Or are you literally just giving Richard, like you have these 10 accounts. That's the only 10 that you're working. Yeah. So I, I would say like in, in their account universe, you know, they would have kind of the, the rotation of, of either having demos set up from BDRs or doing their own prospecting. And, you know, they might have one or two entering or exiting the pipeline monthly, but I would say that there would be, you know, three or four that are in those closing motions. And then there's that kind of like cycle of like 10 that, that just sits there on a quarterly basis. That's, you know, ebbs and flows of maturity. Um, and, and, and to your point, Scott, like that's, that's the area to do the redirect of, um, of focus and, and energy, because a lot of times, you know, the, the reps answer that is like, I've already worked this, I'm stuck or I'm frustrated, whatever it might be. And it's like, man, there is, hundred more people you go talk to that, that account um, and, and go really figure out what's going on there. Yeah. And, and the, the other thing that comes to mind right now is uh, around the pipeline and the opportunity creation, everything is this topic that I was bringing up. I brought up earlier today on LinkedIn, which has to do with pacing. And I have a few people who chimed in and they were like, Oh, pacing doesn't matter in an enterprise kind of universe. And my, my response is, well, it might not be as relevant for the revenue number, but the opportunity creation, the pipeline creation pacing is equally, if not more important. So I'm curious, you're, you've been operating in this enterprise sales land for the last six plus years. Is pacing a metric that is valuable and important to you? And if so, like, how do you apply it? Yeah. So, I mean, Scott, like what specifically do you, do you mean by, by pacing? Like how many opportunities that they're working at a given time or? Let, let, let's say that, you know, uh, everybody has a target to open 20 new opportunities a month. It's like one a day, right? Yeah. So uh, let's say today's the 9th of June. It's like the seventh selling day. Um, let's say Richard has already opened up, you know, 12 opportunities. So he's ahead of pace for his yeah. goal. For the, for the month. That's a good leading indicator that he's on the right track. But I have this sales rep over here, Scott. Today's the seventh selling day. He's only opened up two. He's behind pace for yeah. opening up opportunities. Do you, do you apply things in that particular way with logos, with revenue, with metrics, with opportunities, any of that kind of stuff? I'm curious because- well, 100%. I mean, I probably apply it two ways. One, one just overall quota attainment and then two 
probably the biggest application is forecasting, right? And and probably the the biggest like difference with with the big enterprises that you find out if you're screwed a lot earlier. You know what I mean? Um, to whereas like if you're entering in a forecast and that deal's not going to procurement within the first month of that quarter, you know the rest of them, it probably is not going to happen. And and you just need to go ahead and start figuring out what you're going to do um, and uh, communicating that and figuring out how to get ahead of it. And then yeah, and then if you look at just overall quota attainment and you know somebody that really wants to crush their number like you know typical enterprise buying cycle most people are going to buy at the end of the year you know for somebody to really crush their number they need to be 50 60 percent um kind of clocked in at that pace by mid-year but i'll probably say the biggest application of that is around forecasting and, and doing that gut check to where you're like hey look like if i'm not talking to somebody from sourcing vendor management whatever it might be by the end of that first month of that quarter, out of anything that I, I could try, every bit of control that, that I think I might have, it's just simply not going to happen from a time standpoint, right? I want to I want to shift, um, and you know, we were talking beforehand around the stuff you stop paying attention to, right? And you kind of mentioned it a little bit on the marketing side, right? Um, you know, and you you know. Just go back and describe what you said, because and then I want to explore it more, because I think it's really different than what a lot of people are thinking, and I'd, I'd be willing to bet a lot of people have the similar hunch. But I wonder if this is that, hey, to go from VP of sales to CRO, this is the kind of mental shift you kind of have to make. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to say it for you. I want it to come from you. But I think uh, I think I said something along the lines of, you know, we we over obsess about. SaaS and sales metrics too much, and we need to focus more on just getting shit done. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, you, you come in, you you try to design everything and try to make everything an exact science, but that completely discounts the things that that are really that they're probably more important, right? Like, how do you create a culture of of like of winning, right? How do you how do you really get down in the weeds and and you know help your reps win? Help people coach and in, in reality like what I found found myself doing is that we were spending a bunch of money a bunch of time tracking all these different metrics um, spending a bunch of time talking about it and it was all important but like at the end of the day like that was time taken away from like me being in the field with the reps on calls like feeling the objections actually really really helping them and uh, I think at the end of the day like you know, we can, we can design things and build models all we want, but, um, you know, just the, the overall building a culture where everybody's winning and everybody's confident and everybody feels, feels yeah. armed going into each conversation. Like, so this is, this, so this is the stuff, you know, I want to, is this the kind of stuff you, as you said earlier, I wasted a lot of time my first three months. Right. And yeah. it was just because you were built, you were trying to it was build dashboard. He was dashboard managing. He was, right. he was, he was pulling a Ricky. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was um, a dashboard surfer, you know. So, um, which is, I mean, I, I love hearing this. So, now when did you, you know, I don't know, shift back is the right phrase to go, okay, now it's time to go start tracking this. Now, or are you still not even paying attention to it? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm paying attention to it. I think I'm just a lot more comfortable just like letting a lot of that stuff burn. 
and, and just kind of realizing that like, okay, even, even if we are collecting data and all this stuff, like is the data even really deep enough yet to give me any sort of great insight? So what are you looking at? So, so here's what I want to know. So it sounds, because I think people are going to listen to this and go, oh, and I don't want them to walk away going to stop paying attention to shit, right? Like I don't want that to come across, but you're still tracking somewhere MQLs, SQLs, obviously SALs. I assume somebody is looking at, you know, cadence, right? Number of dials, number of meetings, all that kind of stuff. But as you rise in your career as the CRO, is it you're letting go because you, A, trust your team to do it, or B, you're trusting your managers to do it. And they don't need, and you don't want them to not make them dashboard managers by any means, but. Yeah, no, I, I think a lot of it is is trust. I think a lot of it is just like kind of trust around the, the systems level stuff too. Um, I, you know, brought in a pretty good RevOps manager to help out with all that stuff. And and a lot of times like sitting there obsessing about like stage duration and blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, like I needed to make sure that I was spending more time yeah. just like listening to the reps and listening to the customers. like. We, we yeah. overcomplicate this stuff. So you mean you don't need a two hour conversation about whether the cadence should be 14 days or 16 days? That, that's right. That, that, that's, that's exactly right. Um, because like, look, at the end of the day, we're, we're all slammed, right? And that's time taken away that I can either be talking to the reps, figuring out what they need and coaching them or talking to customers with them and, and really like taking this stuff in stride with them and, you know, giving recommendations on how do we like, systematically get better and build out better playbooks and you know, have better training sessions on how to handle those. Objectives. So if you came in, right. So let's, let's, you know, push even further. Now you come in, you have this knowledge and wisdom. What would you be doing the first 30 days? Um, one around the sales piece and when and how would you start to look at the systems, right? Because, you know, the flip side is, hey, you built the systems, right? You know, it's still going to take time to build those systems, right? Yeah. So um, how would you try to balance that? Honestly, I probably would have kept it similar to where I so first hire, whenever I got here, I brought in somebody for RevOps. I'd do it again. I'd do it again because it took a ton off my plate. And it allowed us to start. That's a Scott Lee's piece right there. I know that. I know where you got that one. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I wonder, I wonder who taught him that. Well, Scott does whatever, like my last time around, it, it took me two years to get that resource. And whenever I finally did, I was like, oh my this, God. Like, this was part of, this was part of the uh, trauma that I guess. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I would still have all that stuff, but I think what I would do different is I would immediately downshift at level to where I'm more like in every single call, um, I would even immediately like run a deal or two. And, and, you know, instead of trying to kind of create like these, you know, Hey, how are we going to design the overall revenue team? And, and Hey, what's this really great playbook going to look like and blah, blah, blah. I think I'd just humble up a little bit more and just be like, Hey, look, like I'm just going to go out there and just kind of take it on the chin here for a little while and just figure it out with everybody. And then I'm going to come up with some stuff. Um, you know, and as opposed to like kind of saying like, hey, here's how I, I think it all needs to be done. Now let me make it fit. Um, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. No, that's great. Like, this is really good because I think this, you know, Scott and I've talked about, you know, there's no book about how to go become a CRO, right? Like that's, there is no book. And I know that's probably the next one Scott's going to write and release. Um, 
you know, because I gave him the idea and then he always takes my ideas and does really well with them. It's not but, about the idea. It's about the execution, Richard. Right. I know. I know. <laughs> um, but this is the kind of stuff that's really matters, right? Like this is the stuff that's not taught to you, that nobody's mentoring you. Rarely can your VC even describe what you just described. And that's not a, that's not a call out on VC. It's just, they haven't experienced it, right? Like, and to a large part, the CRO role is much newer, right? And learning how to navigate that relationship with marketing that you talked about that you didn't before and realizing, oh, it's not just MQL, right? Like all those things are really, really important. And, and so I'm really appreciative of you sharing it all with us. Um, but um, yes, yeah, Scott, Scott just texted me. I'm just going to say it because it's good, Scott. Why don't you say it? It's your quote. The, the, the data one? Yeah. Oh, and I've, I've been saying this for a while now, but I said data may be king, but it's not a god. Right. So, and that's, that's what we've been yeah. talking about is people use it as this like ultimate only set of any kind of truth. You can get lost in there. If you try to study God too much, you're going to get lost and you're not going to get anything done. It takes whatsoever. years. Right. Yeah. It takes years. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, enough, enough. A lifetime. Take a lifetime, Richard. Exactly. Yeah. So um, well, we're, get, we're getting close to the end. So we need to, to give a shout out uh, to our, our sponsors of Vidyard, Lead411Gong.io, the game changer in sales intelligence, revenue intelligence, as well as Salesforce, Sales Cloud. So thank you to all our sponsors. Um, Tyler, you know, we always turn it over to you, to, to, you know, the guest and sort of say, what, what question or questions would you like to ask us for a couple of minutes? Yeah, let me kind of think about that for a second. Um, this might kind of come off like a little bit just just top of mind, but you know, as as people, because we talked a lot about enterprise selling today too. Like, as as people get back into the office, what, what do y'all think is going to change, like from like a sales perspective in terms of you know people you know, people's willingness to want to do in persons? Like, you know, we figured out a way to do POCs, remote, all this stuff. Do you think the game's going to be like changed forever on this to where? Yes. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I do. I, I think there will be a significant portion of buyers and sellers who don't feel the need to meet face-to-face, -face, don't want to take the time to meet face-to-face, -face, sure as shit don't want to travel anywhere to meet face-to-face. -face. Um, <clears throat> and I, I don't think that's ever going back. I think there is a power struggle that is already underway between employer and employee in terms of where one uh, is going to work, whether it's from home entirely, in the office entirely, or some hybrid kind of model. I think companies that are gonna force you into the office five days a week and have a centralized office in one city, um, you're gonna lose the talent war yeah. at some point in time because you're gonna make me an offer that is the same offer as company B, except company B lets me work from home every day or three days a week. So why would I need to go spend an hour and a half, you know, total every day uh, driving? I, I think these are fundamental things that um, are not going to snap back to how they were before. What do you think, Richard? Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, I've been talking about it a little bit um, lately around the whole self. Right. And I think a lot of this stemmed from the social justice, whether, whether, you know, whatever side of the aisle you're on, 
what has changed is that employers now have to recognize people are bringing their whole self to work, right? And they're not checking stuff at the door. You know, when Scott and I first met, and I, I, you know, I think this is one of the things we liked about each other was, you know, we had this mantra of even if people were having tough times, it'd be like, hey, just leave that at the door, right? Like, don't worry about, it. you know, for the next eight hours, you can come in here and you can have fun and focus on stuff. And, you know, if you're successful here, that'll bleed back to the home life and that kind of stuff. When in fact, you know, good leadership acknowledges what's going on and talks to people about things. Um, and so I think, you know, bringing that whole self matters and companies are finally realizing it. And, uh, and, and so that's the other piece I think the company employee is going to struggle with, right? Like you're going to find like, okay, you don't want me to bring my whole self here, even if I got to be here five days a week. I mean, look, there are some jobs that are five days a week, right? Like the UPS driver, like, you know, you're not necessarily in the office, but your office is your truck, right? Um, but if, if they can't bring their whole self, well, guess what? They might go to FedEx. They might go to DHL. They might go somewhere else. They might become, you know, some other kind of thing because they can bring their whole self. So it's, it's those two pieces that I think are, are changing. And it's really reminiscent of 2007. Um, I can't remember who told me this, but I, I thought it was fascinating you know, in 2005 and earlier, maybe even, well, 2006 and earlier, your best technology was at the office. Your best technology was always at the office. 2007 came and your best technology was at home, right? You had your computer on your phone, right? Like even better than BlackBerry. Like BlackBerry probably started it, um, but iPhone took it to a whole other level. And, um, and so now it was like, why are you giving me this shitty system, right? Why am I carrying around this clunker phone from like, you know, Michael Douglas on Wall Street and the beach where it was like that big brick. <laughs> I love that phone. <laughs> right, oh, exactly. Okay. So, um, you know, so I, I think those are the things. So, so it's a similar transition of like, hey, my stuff at home is better than what's at the office. So it's all those pieces tied together. So, um, but I have a question because, you know, you're in Texas and you guys are back in the office. Yeah, but we, we've kind of had like a free choice environment. Um, so, you know, look like I'm, I'm with you, Richard. I don't think that we have the right to, to tell people what to do as it relates to that. Look, as long as people are getting their jobs done, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, some people are more effective at home. I like to come into the office every once in a while because I have two kids under five. Right. Uh, you know, so how do you, you know, how do you, so, cause I had this conversation the other day too, with someone of like, okay, well, let's think about the SDR BDR, who is the traditional SDR BDR just out of college. You know, there's a value of them being around each other to do that learning. Right. And in the office, as you build out your team, will you, do you think about that as part of it? You know? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely take that into consideration. Um, now that being said, I'm, I'm not, ignorant to to looking at the overall like the decentralization of talent that has happened like look we're in dallas texas it's not a tier one tech city love for it to be but i've hired probably six people from both coast here over the past couple of months and that wouldn't have happened if this everything that that covid just turned on its head um and so you know, it, is it nice to be able to provide a place to where if they choose to, to come in and collaborate and they want to do that? 100%. But at the same time, though, you know, 
everything that you can do from the standpoint of people collaborating in Slack and people collaborating on, on Zoom meetings and, and all that, like, yeah, you know, it, there, there's plenty of that there. But, you know, I do think it's, it's nice to provide a forum if, if people, you know, do want to do want to collaborate in person and, and everybody feels comfortable doing that. But uh, I'm right there with you. I don't think moving forward, I've never operated that like that, even pre-COVID where it's like, hey guys, like, I don't like get, get your stuff done wherever you want to get your stuff done. I don't, I don't care, you know, whatever makes you happy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know. Oh, it's always good to talk to you, Tyler, and, and catch up. Appreciate you spending some time with us today on the uh, Surf and Sales podcast, man. Yeah, no, appreciate y'all having me on. It's a good catching up. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Good to see you.